Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, and even further, age successfully, making your second half of life even better than the first. Over the years, have you found yourself increasingly frustrated saying yes to people just to keep them happy? Are you tired of hearing yourself described as a pushover or too nice? Or emotionally exhausted by the unreasonable demands of friends, family, or coworkers? Well, then it's time you sat down and listened to life coach and best-selling author, Michelle Ellman, known as the queen of boundaries by her half million social media followers. In today's episode, I'll be talking with Michelle, the author of the recently published The Joy of Being Selfish, and she will explain how upholding strong boundaries will teach others how to treat you, rid your life of drama and toxic relationships, and allow you to care for yourself in the best way possible. She provides guidance for people who have trouble saying no, or who frequently find themselves on the receiving end of emotional dumps, that is, when someone is transferring their unfiltered emotions on you. The creator of the In All Honesty podcast, Michelle offers advice on what to do if you feel guilty after setting boundaries, as well as what to do when our boundaries are crossed. She'll also describe her widely recognized work as an influencer, including her notable Scarred Not Scared campaign to bring awareness to surgery scars and help women embrace their bodies. And as we start to come out of the pandemic, Michelle will address the need to re-examine boundaries, perhaps set new ones as people deal with different levels of comfort, concerns, and socializations. Whatever your situation, she'll provide you with a practical guide to help you take back your time while maintaining your sense of safety and self-worth. So now, to help us all understand how to be selfish appropriately, let's meet today's guest, Michelle Ellman. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. What a lovely introduction. (laughs) My pleasure, my pleasure. So listen, Michelle, I'm just, you know, looking at your current portfolio, you're a life coach, host a podcast, all, in all honesty, uh, best-selling author. You appeared on BBC Radio, Fox News, NBC's Today Show, also on magazines uh, all over the place. Your, your TEDx podcast has been viewed more than 60,000 times. So you talk about your former life as a pushover. <laughs> so tell me about the transition. What, what brought you over to the line? So if I go back to, let's say, 20 years old, 19 years old, I Mm -hmm. was quite the people pleaser. And what changed was that I got to a point where I started realizing that the people in my life, namely my boyfriend at the time and also my housemates, were treating me like someone who was quite unlovable. And Mm. it's really hard to build a foundation of self-esteem when the people in your life are treating you really badly. And so it was almost a wake-up call of noticing these three housemates and my boyfriend treating me badly and then questioning why I was putting up with it. Um, So I started asking those questions and then when I started setting boundaries for the first time, I realised there were a number of people in my life simply because they liked the fact I was reliable, would pick up the phone after one ring. I was a very giving person. But when it actually came to caring about me as a person, not only did they not, but they also didn't reciprocate the energy and effort I was putting into the relationship. And that's when the wheels started turning and I started making a few changes in my life. 
Right, right, yeah. So it, it we'll be talking about this uh, during the uh, course of our conversation, but it, a lot of it is about respect, right? It's about, that's a, the core emotional issue, lack of respect. Yeah, so I believe that if you have someone in your life who you respect, you also respect their boundaries. And what boundaries are are simply how we teach people to treat us. So it's the line between who you are and who the world wants you to be. And it's about saying this is or isn't acceptable. And I'm going to be the person who's going to tell you that because if I'm not the person, then who else is? Mm -hmm. And so... this um the joy of being selfish is all about the fact that it's okay to put yourself first it's okay to put yourself higher in your priority list and if you're not going to do it then no one else will right right so it's it's sort of yeah it's selfish not selfish in terms of you know being not caring about other people so i think it's just recognizing your own self-worth yeah Yes, and also the fact that it is actually more, uh, it's, it's necessary to put your, to disregard other people's needs in those moments when you are setting boundaries. And that's where the selfish component comes in because the actual definition of it is to dis- disregard someone else's needs. And as much as that sounds really negative, if you want to have a restful weekend where you actually recuperate and build your energy back, then you will need to ignore your boss's need for a reply to that email then you will need to ignore your mum's request for you to come over and go on a hike with her. You are going to have to ignore your friend's request to come to that party. And so as much as we have these negative connotations around the word selfish, if your needs go higher, someone else's needs do have to go lower. And that's the unglamorous part of boundary setting. That's the unglamorous part of self-love and self-care that no one wants to discuss. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you've, you've come to this realization early. I think a lot of people end up, you know, in, in 45 forward and going for years, not realizing why they're so <laughs> upset about aspects of their life. So, so tell me, let's get on to, so what are the signs that you need to be more selfish? Tell us about that a little bit. I also think it's when you're really depleted. If you've ever wondered why you never have energy, any energy, especially when it comes to the weekend, or if you're the kind of person who, as soon as you go on holiday, you get ill, it's largely because you're not setting enough boundaries in your day-to-day and your everyday life mm-hmm. that you are leaving it until when you're on holiday or have it's the weekend to take care of yourself. And that's when your body goes into like crash burnout mode and just make sure that you are properly staying in bed by making sure you are ill. And so you need to be putting more um, boundaries in place in your day-to-day life to make sure you are making time for rest, to make sure you're making time for play. And rest and play are two different things. Um, (laughs) So that's a big sign. When it comes to the signs of whether your boundaries are being crossed, there are two main signs. One is anger and one is resentment. So Mm -hmm. if you ever feel in the moment that you are feeling angry and you don't know why, or you might even be invalidating the way you feel by saying, I don't deserve to feel angry, I know I'm angry about nothing, or I know it's not a big deal, Instead of invalidating your anger, ask yourself what has just happened that caused that emotion. Um, And similar with resentment. Right, right. Um, Now, in your book, you talk about um, sort of gender differences and, uh, you know, between men and women. And that, you know, perception is that it takes, uh, you know, it's a little harder for women uh, to establish boundaries and keep them separate. Uh, talk about that a little bit. And, and I'd like to uh, offer some of my own observations, but let me hear yours first. Um, so I think there are higher expectations on women to be selfless in general. I think mm-hmm. 
selfless is probably the greatest compliment you can give a woman. Um, and I think it stems down to the fact that we are seen as the caretakers of the world. We're meant to look mm -hmm. after everyone else first. And so I think there is increased pressure. That's not to say that men can't struggle with boundaries, because ultimately, if you have bad boundaries, it's because you weren't taught it as a child. And if you grew up in a household where your parents struggled with boundaries, you're going to have the similar issues. Yeah, I, I think you're you're right. I think that um, I think things are changing slowly. I think, first of all, I think that men's and women's roles are changing somewhat with respect to families. And so I think that I think that you know men, especially as women become more involved in the, in uh, the workplace, and, you know, and there are two two income families. Um, there will, uh, you know, uh, I think men will become more sensitive about caregiving. I think also, you know, the sense of boundaries that 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 their their wives, spouses, others need to have boundaries more, um, and, and need to be respected for their boundaries. Um, I think, uh, you know, one of the areas that I find is sort of gray is, uh, you know, the workplace. You know, in terms of men and women. So I think they're. There are sort of different boundaries for men and women in the workplace. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? So within the workplace, I think one of the greatest um, harms or the obstacles to boundary setting is we create this dichotomy between I either say yes to everything and keep my job or I say no and I lose my job. And this is a false dichotomy because it's not true. You can set boundaries without losing your job. And as much as that fear rises inside you, you need to have a reality check around how um, accurate it actually is. And that actually saying no can mean you lead to more respect. And of course, your company, your boss is going to love you if you're the person who's first in the office, last in the office, um, but, you're unlikely to be the person who gets the promotion because if you are doing three jobs levels up you're without getting paid that way, there is no um, motivation to increase your salary. There is mo no motivation to actually financially compensate you for the work you're doing because you're doing it all anyway. Um, and there's also a level of if you are working so much harder than everyone else, it does put question marks in the mind of your superiors of why can everyone else leave at 6 p.m. but you're there till 9 p.m. And so it does put question marks about your efficiency if you are doing what I call presenteeism and just sitting there for the sake of it to show how hardworking you are. And actually a lot of the time it's because there's an insecurity there around the quality of your work and so people overcompensate with the quantity. Right. Right. Now, I think that, you know, I've had some experience with, uh, with that. I think, you know, my, my job in the newspaper industry, I mean, and lots of, you know, lots of jobs, I think, rely on a certain passion from their employees to really overwork and expect, you know, a lot of overtime and so forth. Um, and I think that they're, you know, but I think, I think, and, and perhaps the pandemic has contributed to this too, that I think there is a little bit more, uh, cognizance these days of basically having established boundaries, especially between your private, you know, and your family life and work. I um, mean, and it's not always easy. I mean, I think that, uh, to be honest, in, in a previous job, you know, I had, um, you know, uh, fraternal twin boys, and my wife and I uh, uh, basically realized <laughs> we better both take some time off to deal with this, you know, um, you know, this, and so I took paternal leave. And, uh, uh, I think that was a boundary. This is a you know a few years ago now. I think things yeah. have been changing, but I think at that time, 
you know, there was sort of an issue like, what are you doing? You know, and I had to establish that boundary and, and maybe there are consequences, uh, perhaps, but, you know, you've got to do it. And I also think paternal leave is actually a really great example of good boundaries that even though other people might not understand or especially at the time understand why a father might want to take leave when it's traditionally a maternal thing, you actually actually have a good work-life balance and that's an example of really good boundaries. Yeah, yeah. And I think that it's somehow now it's it, it's become a little trickier, a little grayer with so much uh, you know remote work and virtual work. Talk about that now, about how do you establish boundaries with the internet and well, the you know, and Zoom is, meetings? There are two differences nowadays. One is the fact that now because we're working from home, we've lost the physical boundary between the workplace and home um, because a lot of the time home now is the workplace. And therefore, that physical boundary often was the excuse for not working and so we need to actually create those boundaries, whether that's working in a separate room to where you sleep or whether that's um, putting a certain time deadline to putting the phone away. And then the second aspect of it is the accessibility via our phones. So there would have been a time, if I think about my dad's generation, for example, where you wouldn't have been contactable because you would have not had a mobile phone. You wouldn't have had someone's home phone number. And so this expectation that just because I can reach you does means I should be able to access you is becoming a problem. So setting those boundaries, setting those limits, that could be as simple as saying, if someone uses your personal phone number, sends you a WhatsApp or a, a, a text on your personal phone number saying, hey, this is actually my personal phone number. Can you send me a message on my work phone? Or if they send you a message late at night or on the weekend saying, hey, I'm not actually working weekends. Can you send me an email and I'll get back to you on Monday? Yeah, I think that's really important. Uh, and sometimes I think you need to just do it and, and, you know, and let the consequences be what they may. If people get upset about it. It's like, well, now you know. I mean, I think that interestingly, you know, and this will date me, Michelle, but um, I think that, you know, one of the things that's happened with technology is that, you know, it's really sped up the world and, and set certain expectations. Um, for example, you know, if, if people, um, you know, there's text you, sometimes there's like, they didn't text me back. I'm like, well, I'm doing something. And yeah. I, I'll just tell you a quick story about, you know, so this now we're going back to the 80s, Michelle. And I remember um, talking with a person who was a, a PR person at the time, and, and she was getting pretty upset about a new technology, the fax machine. <laughs> and she was like, this is really awful. Now, you know, there used to be, a, you know, you used to send someone a proposal, you send it in the mail, you get a couple of days, it gets there, a couple of days, look at it, a couple of days back, you have some time to do nothing. Now, they fax you stuff, they expect you to answer, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that this is just really accelerated, you know, with all the technology we have now. I think it's really important as well, this efficiency and the fact that you can get a text within a minute now and you don't have to wait for a letter. It's important that you therefore have more perspective around what is actually urgent. Mm -hmm. And one of the sentences I say in my book is this is not urgent or important. And it actually came into real life about a month ago. It was the first time I traveled abroad since the whole pandemic. And I turned my phone off for a whole week. And I said to my agents, all my PR people, you won't be able to contact me the whole week. My phone is off, off. Um, not just off for work people, off for personal people as well. Um, I'm not even bringing my phone with me. And one of um, my colleagues said, 
but what do we do if it's urgent? And I just replied saying, there is nothing urgent in social media or publishing. No one will die. You will survive. And that was how I left it. Because there is nothing urgent in publishing or social media. It's not like I'm a neurosurgeon. Just a little perspective sometimes helps. Right. That's great. That's great. Um, yeah. So, uh, so we're going to, uh, actually, Michelle, we're going to take a short break, uh, but there's much more to come. Michelle Elman, the author of The Joy of Being Selfish and The Queen of Boundaries. So, folks, don't go away. Much more with Michelle to come. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. Listen for Bravehearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. Uh, we're talking with Michelle Elman, the queen of boundaries, the, the author of The Joy of Being Selfish. Now, before we continue our conversation with Michelle, I just wanted to mention that you can find out more about her by going to her website, www.michellewith2lsalmanwith1l.com. <laughs> um, or you can go to my website, roboresources.com, and click on the 45 forward tab, and you'll see more about Michelle there. And you can see her, the cover of her book as well. So, Michelle, before the break, we were talking about uh, technology and the Internet. And so, uh, of course, this is a, the, the pandemic has really precipitated a lot more use of technology. Um, but now, you know, things are getting a little unclear. You know, we're in a pandemic. We're sort of in it. We're, nah, we're kind of out of it. now. Nah, we're not really. Um, so what are the things people need to think about as we, we hopefully come out of a pandemic in terms of setting or resetting thinking about boundaries? So I think everyone's going to have slightly different safety boundaries, health boundaries in general, and everyone's going at their own pace. And I definitely think this phase is a lot more confusing than previous phases. We knew the rules before when we were in lockdown, or at least here in the UK, when you're in lockdown, you know what you're meant to be doing, whether you do it or not is a different question. But now it's it's everyone each for themselves everyone decide for themselves what they feel safe and comfortable and the important thing is just because you don't understand someone's health anxiousness or what they're worrying about doesn't mean you shouldn't respect it so if someone doesn't want to come to your party um, because they're not ready for group situations then don't take it personally respect that boundary if someone says hey i would love to go for dinner with you 
but is it okay if we eat outside? Things like that are going to start coming into the conversation. So they're very much new boundaries we're going to have to be dealing with. Right, right. Now, of course, there there are some circumstances, I'm sure, where people (laughs) use the pandemic like, I really don't want to see that person. Oh, no, I just don't feel comfortable <laughs> going out right now. But, yeah, but that, Yes, yeah. but I absolutely do not advocate for that. <laughs> Even within the book, I say stop making excuses for not going to things and start being honest. I just think it sets a precedent. We're so guilty about it, of mm-hmm. doing that, especially here, because it's seen as more polite to make up an excuse. But actually, a lot of the time when you say no, you really don't even need to give a reason. Just say you don't, like, you either say you don't want to go or say you're not available but you don't need to say why you're not available you don't need to say well I have a work thing on because the problem is when you start saying why you're not available the person you're telling almost finds it as a a problem to be fixed so if you're if they want you to come to a house party and you say, well, I'm so swamped with work, then they start fixing that problem and they go, well, why didn't you work tonight? And then you'll be free tomorrow night. When actually, if you just said no in the first place, then they wouldn't have that extra information to create a solution to a problem that you don't have. Right, right. Yeah, I remember a, a good friend of mine, a, a therapist years ago, uh, telling me, um, you know, don't over-explain. You know, yes. no is it's okay to be say no. You don't need why? What's the reason? I did da, da, da. then it be, then it becomes an excuse. Whether, whether as Oprah says, no is a full sentence. Right there, you go. There you go. There you go. So so speaking of which, you know, what, what advice do you have for people who have trouble saying no? You just start doing it. So you do it mainly, a lot of people find it easier to do it with strangers first. So it's in the restaurant when they ask you, are you happy with your food? And you actually saying no. It's when you're getting your haircut and them saying, are you happy with your haircut? And you actually saying no. It's those really uncomfortable moments we always avoid and we lie to get out of because, and then we go outside and we moan and complain and potentially cry when actually you could have said something in that moment. So yes, those moments are uncomfortable but if you don't feel ready to set boundaries with your loved ones with the people that you care about then you might find it easier to start with strangers right right i think that uh, i guess sometimes you know you just feel uncomfortable with you know you think somehow you're going to disappoint people you know they're going to think less of you um and i think uh in some cases they'll think more of you if you're just honest and just say well this is you know i can't do it you know uh and you know, that's, that's, as you said. Also, there's a psychological effect called the spotlight effect, which means we um, think everyone's thinking about us all the time. Realistically, that waiter does not care if you like the food or not. They didn't cook it. They're not taking it as a personal insult. They're just doing their job. But suddenly you're about to say no and you think that person's going to get offended and all of these stories that you make up in your head. But realizing that actually the world doesn't revolve around you. When that waiter goes home at night, they're not going to be thinking, oh, that one person who was eating at the restaurant and turned the food back was so rude. They'll have other bigger problems in their life that they'll be thinking about. Right, right. Now, if what if you feel guilty about, you know, setting boundaries? 
then you have to ride and sit through the guilt because it doesn't change. (laughs) It gets easier as you set more boundaries. But if the thing you're so scared of is feeling guilty, then you're never going to set boundaries. And it's the, the crux behind why you feel guilty is because a lot of the time, if you've not been brought up with self-esteem, you don't believe you deserve to set boundaries. You don't believe you get to say no. And it's about practice of actually doing it and realizing that actually the only people who get angry or upset about your boundaries are people who are taking advantage of you anyway yeah good point good point um so let's let's uh, move on to some you know different scenarios and different different roles um so what about um dealing with romantic relationships which i understand are can be pretty hard to establish boundaries yeah so um you have to set a precedent for uh, boundaries in a relationship and unfortunately most of the time especially romantic relationships you are so concerned with them liking you in the beginning that is often exactly what you don't want to be doing when actually it's so much easier if you start off with boundaries in the first place um actually an example today was i um messaged my boyfriend saying that um i have a guy friend staying over and usually he stays in my bed and it's not really a big deal like friends stay in my bed all the time does that bother you? Because I, it's not an issue to me, but I understand people have different boundaries. And he replied saying, yes, that is an issue to me. That is very <laughs> okay. strange. Um, and I went, okay, great. Won't happen. Then he'll sleep on the sofa. It's not a big deal. Um, but usually like it's in my mind, I don't see the difference between guy friends and girlfriends. And in his mind it does. So it's about having that communication, checking with someone, make, don't make the assumption just because it's not your boundary, it's theirs. Yeah, I think that that is, um, again, I think it's, um, you know, I've had situations where, you know, you, you think that you're in sync with somebody um, and uh, so, and, and then you realize, wait a minute, the reason I'm in sync with somebody is that I do everything they say, <laughs> you know, and so there's, there's no respect for my boundaries. So once this happened in a relationship, you know, years ago where I, 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 you know, I, I was pretty much, we were pretty much in sync, you know, this person and I, but, but then it was like, at one point I said, you know what, this really is not okay. I, I don't want to do this. And it was a real, really a red flag. I'm like, oh, it's not okay with her. And that's, it's not okay with me that it's not okay. You know, this yeah. wasn't, this wasn't a, you know, a, a do or die issue. It was just a preference. I didn't want to do something that was not convenient for me. I really wasn't interested in it. Um, but that showed me that when you talked about that boundary as a man, you know, it's about respect, not infatuation. And I think that that's, you know, what happens. You, you, you're so worried about being in love that you don't understand what you know, being in like is, which is, you know, having that respect for who you are. And I also think sometimes we have different things that we care about. So I'm not a particularly jealous person, which is why I wouldn't really care if you share a bed or whatever, friends stay over, sleep on the sofa, whatever, doesn't matter to me. What I do care about is timing. If you turn up an hour late, I will care. I don't care whether we are um, having a casual relationship, whether you're my boyfriend, whether you're my husband, If you turn up an hour late, I will care because time is my greatest resource. It's my greatest thing that you can take advantage of. And so those kind of things I'll care about. But some people don't care about timing. You can turn up an hour late. They won't mind. It's about not making the assumption. And if you're not sure, ask, communicate, check, rather than um, just assuming they think the same way as you. And I think sometimes we get um, really guilty of this and we often say the phrase, oh, well, if they loved me, they would know. People aren't mind readers and it's time we stop expecting people to be. Right, 
Right. And I think some of that we talk about, then you talk about friends also in your book. Um, and I think some of that is also true there with, uh, you know, I think that, you know, what you just said about communicating what's really important to you in terms of what your boundaries and what your expectations are. You know, I think that, um, you know, I know that uh, I've been involved in several uh, groups uh, and organizations where committees and so forth. Uh, and at the beginning of the process of meeting and working together, you know, there's a process called covenant setting, you know, which is a little bit of a weighty word of a covenant. But basically, it's what you're talking about. It's like, well, they sit down and you go, okay, let's, let's talk about what's important to each of us. You know, what, you know, being on time, you know, being respectful, you know, giving appropriate, you know, when you're talking and meeting, there's going to be appropriate space to other people, you know, but agreeing ahead of time is sort of what your expectations, but also what your, your boundaries are and what your, what your limits are, what you think is appropriate, not appropriate behavior. Yes, exactly. And also some of the things that come up aren't necessarily going to have been, you're not even going to think they were a conversation. So actually someone who set a boundary with me recently said to me that they don't like the word babe. So I use pet names for everyone. I call everyone darling, honey, love, whatever. Um, and I call them babe just as a natural thing. I think I said, good night, babe, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they came back to me and was like, oh, I hate that word. And that's a boundary. But I would have never thought, hey, should I check whether I can use this word before I use it? It's just second nature to me. It's just the way I am. But once I got told, it's, a, it's more the question of, okay, are you going to keep doing it and disrespecting me now that you know? Or are you actually going to change your behavior? Right, right. Good point, good point. Um, so let's talk about uh, what do you do in boundaries across. Now you talk about the issues of... Uh, uh, you know, uh, emotional dumps. T t talk more about what that what that is. I think we I think we have a sense of what it is, but talk about it more. Yeah. So if you've ever had someone come at you with a lot of intensity, maybe they were angry at something. Maybe you've had that moment where your partner's walked through the door and gone, you would have never guessed what happened at work. And they've just launched into a 20 minute conversation. They've not even looked up to check the fact that you're still working, that you're, you're emailing, you're in the middle of a work call, any of those things. Um, but they just felt an emotion so intensely that they didn't check whether you are okay they didn't pause for a moment and they went and they just went straight into it in those moments when you have that level of intensity what you need to do is take a step back realize you have this surge of emotion and sit and process it yourself and I know that sounds really painful and uncomfortable but at the very least if you can't do that have the boundaries to say to a person hey I need to vent right now are you free? Hey, can I be really honest about something? I need, I'm so angry about something. Prepare someone and that gives someone the opportunity. Even just saying, hey, do you have five minutes? I really want to call about something. It gives someone the opportunity to say no. Hey, no, I'm at work right now, but can I call you this evening? Hey, no, right now I'm really stressed, but can I talk to you about it the weekend? It gives people that option and it also means that you, you, Grow more self-awareness when you're able to sit with your emotions yourself. And what I talk about in the book is it's like me taking a bag of my emotions and me going, I don't want to deal with them. So here you have it. When each person has their own emotions, they're dealing with their own stresses in life. And it's not fair to pile yours onto someone else's plate because you feel uncomfortable to deal with what's on yours. Right, right. Yeah, I think there are times when I I would, you know, I feel like a, a need coming on to, to rant and I say, can we like, 
co-rant now? Can we you know, sort of agree that we're going to, you know, exchange rants and, and, you know, frustrations that each of us have? So you understand where we are. You understand what the boundaries are and you're contributing to this rant. Yeah. It's yeah. Um, that stereotype in a movie where two people are ranting at each other, having two st- completely separate conversations, but they <laughs> both haven't realised they're having separate conversations because one's so angry about one thing and one's so angry at another, and they both at the end go, great, thank you so much, and walk off. But like, neither <laughs> of them have actually referred to each other's problems, which that's actually mutual. It's not a dump, whereas emotional dump assumes it's only one person going one way. Right, right. Yeah, and I think also, you know, so... I. I mean, when I do that, it's like, here, listen to me rant, and then I listen to you rant. So yeah. we do hear each other, you know, but we just, we, we do realize that we're kind of going on and, you know, you know, gesturing and, you know, <laughs> cursing yeah. and so forth. <laughs> as long as it's reciprocated, it's all good. Right, 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 right. Um, now, let me ask you this. Do, do you think that our, our sense of boundaries change as we get older? I mean, you know, that, or are they... I mean, obviously, you get these issues at any age, but are there changes, do you think? Do people sort of understand what they are? Do they get some experience and get better at it? I actually think the best time we are at boundaries is actually about two, three years old when we have toddlers. (laughs) Because if you think about it, you take a toddler's toy, they will scream no at you. You put a toddler in the arms of someone they don't want to be in the arms of, they will scream no. They do not care about being polite. They don't care about people pleasing. And it's because they aren't able, there's a thing in psychology called theory of mind where they aren't able to think about the fact that you think too. It's the moment we can think about the fact that other people think and therefore people have thoughts about us that we start people pleasing. So, there's two ways, like learning the word no is so natural to us and then we get unlo- we unlearn it as we get older because we learn to people please. But then also I think naturally as we get older, as we have more perspective about what's important in life, um, a lot of people say when they become parents, they realise what's important in life. And so naturally I think as we get older, we become less people pleasing and mm-hmm. we care less what people think and that will always benefit you when it comes to boundary setting because in order to set your boundaries accurately you do have to stop thinking about other people at all right yeah i think some of that's you know pragmatic i think you know as you get older you you start seeing your life uh, more time bound it's like hmm okay (laughs) perhaps this was uncomfortable but i have to do this because i don't want (laughs) to spend my time at this point in my life you know with something or doing something i really don't want to do you know, so I think people do get clearer about it sometimes. Sometimes they don't have the tools to, <laughs> to do it right. But. I will add the caveat, though, that it okay. doesn't need to come from age. So you yes. can learn all of those things, the importance of time, the importance of the lack of time. Um, and we all aren't promised till living till 90 years old. So if you're only going to learn this lesson in your 40s, then who says you're going to make it that long? So make sure you're t- making the most of time from as early an age as possible. And that means facing those hard moments, those difficult conversations. Right, right. Now, this, uh, this issue may take us past into the break, but let me just throw about, what about family? You know, family is a, it's like family and friends, but family can be really tricky and, and problematic. Yes, yeah, so family is where we learnt bad boundaries. So <laughs> we try setting <laughs> okay. boundaries with the people who um, you have the longest relationships with, therefore the most ingrained relationships. 
and the people who are most used to you being a people pleaser because they've known you the longest. So yes, setting boundaries with family are difficult, but I believe that family should treat you just the same as anyone else. They don't get exceptional rules just because they're blood or just because they're family. Um, they don't get to treat you any worse. And therefore, you set boundaries in the same way and just be prepared that you might have a more negative reaction. People might not take you as seriously. People might not think you're being um, as firm as you are because they're used to childhood use. They, they might be used to you as um, a teenager um, and a lot of phrasing around you being selfish or all of these comebacks that I list in the book, like you being selfish, you being rude, you um, suddenly not caring about family, all of these aspects um, do arise when it comes to setting boundaries with families, but it doesn't mean what you're doing is wrong and it doesn't mean the boundary you're setting is wrong either. Right. Yeah, I think that um, certainly I think things become uh, yeah, actually uh, tougher sometimes when you have uh, adult children dealing with older parents, you know, because then you, you're looking at old, older role models and expectations and assumptions about, you know, um, I, I think, you know, one of the issues I deal with a lot is sort of caregiving, you know, elder caregiving. And I think that's one thing that, uh, you know, gets tricky where the expectations are not clear as to whether you're going to be around, what are you going to be, what are you going to take care of me? And really requires a discussion about, um, you know, what are the boundaries of caregiving? What are the expectations are? So, and now, so we're going to take another quick break, Michelle. But folks, uh, there's much more to come. Michelle Elman, the author of The Joy of Being Selfish. So don't go away. Much more in our last segment. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to hear a show about football? How about football moms? What if we told you that was just a start? Tune in for Double Down with Garrett and Mack. Audrey Garrett and Jeracy Mack are moms to some well-known NFL players. Sure, they'll talk football and raising their kids to achieve greatness, but they'll also talk about community and world issues, motherhood, news, and lifestyle topics. Listen in every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England. Along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week. And each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio. Live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Michelle Elman, the queen of boundaries, the author of The Joy of Being Selfish. And just before the break, we were talking about family, and the difficulties of family. And, and uh, during the break action, Michelle and I were talking about uh, how 
one of the issues is uh, as uh, children grow up, their roles change and the boundary issues become different. Yeah, I definitely think that if you aren't able to treat your adult children as adults, that's when boundaries are crossed, largely around privacy. So let's say it's Christmas time and your adult children move back home to spend a week with you. Um, If you don't respect the fact that their room is their room, you might follow the old school saying of under my house, it's my rules. Yes, but that's still their room. You can't just barge in like they were four years old. If they're 20 years old, you need to knock on the door. You need to respect when a door is locked all of these aspects or some people really struggle with um, their property is their property so you don't get to just ruffle through their suitcase um, like they did like you did when they came home from summer camp as a child they're adults with their own belongings and um, treating that with much more respect but vice versa adult children actually treating your childhood home as a home that is maybe more similar to if you're friend, staying at a friend's house. So if you're staying at a friend's house, would you just leave the bed unmade? Probably not. Would you help with the dishes? Absolutely. Um, not just relying on your parents being your parents. Once you change that dynamic, it can often help with your parents changing their dynamic with you. Yeah, yeah. I think in the area that I've done a lot of work in, which is uh, caregiving, I think this becomes interesting on, on both sides because I think that um, – well, certainly as your parents get older, if you don't have a conversation about what their expectations are of you to take care of them, you know, what your boundaries are in terms of your families and your needs and, and you know, when you're going to jump to take care of them. Um, so that becomes an issue, again, of, as you've mentioned, really a matter of communication. Like, what are, What's our, our agreement about how to do this? Um, and then the other side is flip side. Oh, go ahead. You wanted to come on that and I'll Absolutely. And also, I think sometimes caregivers can become so exhausted because they are seen to be accessible 24 hours a day. But even if you're someone's caregiver, everyone needs a break at some point. Everyone needs to be able to take um, care of themselves first. And if they can't provide themselves care, then they're not, not going to be a good caregiver to you either. And so it's about sharing that load, whether it's among siblings or maybe hiring someone every now and then so that making sure everyone's taken care of. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the, the flip side of that I've seen is, is also just uh, interesting, you know, as your parents become infirm later on, that again, the, the children need to respect the boundaries and respect their parents as adults. I think sometimes, especially, you know, when there are cognitive issues as your parents get older sometimes, um, I think there's this uh, temptation to infantilize your parents and, you know, so and, and reverse the roles. So, yes, the roles are reversing that you're taking care of them where they took care of you. But they're still adults. They're not the yeah. children you were, you know, when they were taking care of you. So I think that becomes an issue, too, where you have to sometimes that becomes a conversation among siblings in the family. I think also that it's about having empathy. I I can't relate to that problem. But what I do know was I have been in a bedridden person in hospital at 19 years old and I remember my mum suddenly wanting to give me a sponge bath because I couldn't (laughs) do it myself and me at 19 years old being like I'm an adult who has my pride who also would rather smell than have a, a sponge bath and being able to say hey look I'm an adult who and take have losing that not pride maybe pride's not the right word but 
Losing that aspect of being able to take care of yourself is a really emotionally difficult journey. So as to the children, having respect for the fact that your parent is losing their ability to take care of themselves, and that's going to be difficult for their ego, it's going to be difficult for their pride, and being a little bit more compassionate and understanding that if they don't want to do something, maybe they're angrier than normal. It might be because of the fact that they're losing their ability, their freedom as well, to take care of themselves. And that um, is associated with a lot of emotions that come with it. And it's not always about you. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's true. It's very true, yeah. Um, now, one of the things that you know, we've talked about too is just that, you know, talk about families, but are there issues you know, there are cultural issues, ethnic issues in terms of expectations and about boundaries, you know, as a family. Yeah, I think there can be if you want an excuse. So I heard <laughs> one the other day saying, oh, well, British people have a stiff upper lip. You can't actually say how you actually feel. You can't actually be honest. Um, I've heard it about Americans and I'm half Chinese and I've heard it about, um, oh, well, in Asia, you can't speak to your elders like that. I've heard it about the American Christian community of, well, within our culture, it's all about honor your mother and father. So I can't do it. There is honestly every excuse under the sun. I have heard it. And somehow your culture, your religion your um specific area of the world is the only reason why you can't set boundaries and it's just not <laughs> true <laughs> everyone can there might be different reasons why yours are, yours are difficult but frankly if boundaries were easy to set then there wouldn't be a book about it the reason why i wrote a book is because people struggle with it and there are different reasons why people find it difficult but just because you have your religious aspect doesn't mean someone else who isn't religious isn't going to struggle in a different way. Right, right, right. Um, now, you're also a life coach. You have many credentials as a life coach. Talk to me a little bit about how that fits into your overall, um, you know, your work in terms of, you know, talking to people. How has it informed you? What does that really involve? Yeah, so as much as um, boundaries is a very much personal journey for me that I learned how to have more boundaries in my life, it's also what I use as a tool with people that are my clients, where it's the greatest tool I have been able to teach and give other people. And it is genuinely out of all the tools I have in my toolbox as a life coach, probably the thing that has changed most lives because as soon as you start setting boundaries you start being able to spotlight all the problem areas in your life and so this one broad category of boundaries affects every single context um, in your life um, so love, life coaching is something that I'm truly passionate about. It's something I absolutely love. And it's essentially a different option to people who find therapy not for them. Um, we have slightly different approaches, slightly different ways of um, addressing problems, slightly different mentalities. And so if you find that therapy is maybe too limiting for you, then there are other options out there. And life coaching is definitely a more new age um technology more new age approach and so the main thing i would say is if you are looking for a life coach make sure to check their qualifications because unlike psychologists unlike therapists unlike counselor life coach is not a protected term so anyone can call themselves a life coach i happen to be qualified i happen to be five board accredited but not everyone is and so just be very cautious going into it but life coaches can truly change your life and I say that from experience. I have my own life coach. <laughs> you did. did. Yeah, yeah. Now, how did you get involved in this in the first place? So you, you added, I guess, came out, you had a degree in psychology. Is that correct? Is that yes. So I trained in psychology and then um, I did a few 
trainings in hypnotherapy, timeline therapy, um, neuro-linguistic programming, um, provocative therapy, and I started there and I started working with people that way. In the beginning, I was really working with people with body image issues. And then as I discovered myself personally, you can love your body, but not uh, love your life. And so um, you start going into the broader area. So even even while I was uh, coaching people on body image, what I found is like the first session would be about bodies and then all the other problems that come underneath arise quite quickly um, because it's never really about your body. It's just about ultimately not feeling good enough. And that's also the same problem that's underpinning boundaries is not feeling good enough to be able to say no, not feeling good enough in yourself that you have to do so much for others. Um, And it's that crucial piece of self-esteem. Yes. Um, So (laughs) what's, what's been your, uh, most selfish act this week. What do you look forward to being selfish at? I am turning my phone off all weekend and I can't wait. <laughs> it's my favorite way to be selfish, turning my phone off, because what I basically decide is phones are just devices for other people asking you for all their needs to be met. So if mm. you turn your phone off, your needs suddenly get met a lot better. Wow, that's great. <laughs> yeah, I think that that would, that, that would panic a lot of people uh, on the oh, other it side. The first, it yeah, the that's the first time I did it. In fact, my housemate was probably the person who got most angry. It was like, well, what if something happens, but I don't operate my life from a fear perspective and all of these what ifs are driven by fear. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But I think that we, ha- we have uh, developed a sort of a compulsive society, an expectation that your phone is always with you, that you'll always answer it, that, you know, um, you know, that I've had some experiences where, um, people have, uh, you know, I've, I didn't really turn my phone off. I just didn't answer it for an hour or two, you know, and they're like, where, where were you? What were you doing? Well, you know, I'm like, I, I just, you know, <laughs> I was doing something. <laughs> you know, I actually frustrated with a lot of people that I worked with that I started a new rule of not turning my phone on until 11 o'clock. Um, oh. because I'm an author, I really like on. Um, uninterrupted time to write and so from nine o'clock to eleven o'clock I would write because what I found was if I turned my phone on I would spend so long dealing with everyone else's requests then doing my emails by the time I've done all of that there's no creative juice left in the tank so my writing came first at eleven o'clock I'd turn my email on and frankly whatever they were waiting for they can wait for an extra two hours right right yeah I think that there is that you know, compulsion, even when, you know, the phone rings, you know, well, first of all, you know, when the, if the landline rings, it's like, it's a marketing call, so I don't answer that. So, but, but even, you know, I think there is this, if someone's calling you, there's this, like, I, I got to answer that. It's like, no, you don't, you know, just wait a little while that, you know, that person will wait. I see who it is. That's fine. You know, one of the sentences in the book is um, just because the phone's ringing doesn't mean you have to pick up. Right, right, right. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. So as, as you know, looking ahead to your next chapters, what, what are you looking forward to, Michelle? What do you think you want to do next? I mean, uh, you, you know, you sound like you're writing another book, but which will, um, that, that I hope you are. But, um, you know, what, what would you like your, even thinking now, what would you like to think about next chapters and even farther ahead in terms of what sort of legacy you want to leave? Well, I hope I will always be writing books and, mm-hmm. um, the legacy I want to leave is more so related to people making the most of the time. As I mentioned previously, I've had a number of surgeries when I was younger. And so I'm 
be aware of how short a life that you can lead and that we're not owed time. And so I just think it's quite sad when you get to your end of your life and you're filled with regrets of things that you wish you had done. And a lot of it for me when I was 19, when I didn't think I was going to make it, was around worrying about what people thought, worrying about looking stupid, even basic small things. Like I remember a dance class I wanted to go to that I didn't want to go to because what if I look stupid in front of my friends? Mm-hmm. And it, you think it's going to be the big moments in life that you think about at the end, but you really don't. You think about the small, tiny moments where you could have had fun and you missed out because you said no. Um, and so ultimately... I hope people can learn those lessons that I had to learn the hard way without going all the pain through all the pain and trauma I had of multiple surgeries. Wow. 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 That's great. Okay. So, well, listen, uh, the time went quickly. Um, uh, We'll have to have you back for whatever your next several books are, (laughs) but I want to thank you for a very stimulating conversation. And if people have questions for you, Michelle, what's the best way to, to contact you? I'm on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter at Scarred Not Scared. Um, you can find me on there. I do a Monday Q&A on my Instagram every Monday. Um, wow. And you can find me on my podcast, In All Honesty, on Spotify and iTunes. And again, likewise, on there, where I answer voice notes and questions from followers. Great. Okay. And it's always important, for people, especially these days, for people to know what things people respond to. You know, I, I find some people now, you know, they get voicemails, but they don't answer them. <laughs> they don't listen yeah. to them. And some use text and some use social media. So this is helpful for people that get taught. So folks, again, you can tell your friends that they missed my conversation with Michelle today. They can also still listen to it as a podcast on voiceamerica.com. It's one word, voiceamerica.com. Just search my show 45 forward. Uh, you can also find an Apple, Google podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or go to my website, RoboResources.com and just click on the 45 forward tab. So folks, be sure to join me next Monday, 12 noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, different time in your zone, Michelle. But um, at any rate, uh, I'll be talking next week with Jim Smith, a Vietnam veteran author, who as we approach Veterans Day, we'll be talking about the issues affecting veterans today, his own experiences, perspectives, being shaped both by the military and civilian experiences. So, Until then, folks, keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.